We are continuing our study of Ephesians 6, the armor of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And after you've done everything, to stand firm. And then he says, put on the belt of truth that gives you flexibility and mobility in battle. Put on the breastplate of righteousness that underscores the perfect completeness that we have in Christ his imputed power and righteousness. Put on the gospel shoes that make us ready and able to preach the gospel as the gospel defines who we are. And today, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can quench the fiery darts of the adversary or extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. And I've given you this diagram several times, but we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, we need to know the culture around us. The flesh, we need to know the proclivities and potholes and sinful tendencies of our own heart and the devil, the forces of darkness. And where one begins and the other ends, no one can really discern. But we fight the world and the flesh and the devil. And because we realize that, we say every day we desperately need need grace. I was reading Joshua and Joshua's extended farewell statement to the children of Israel, where he, he admonishes and pleads with them to be strong in faith. And he says this in Joshua 22, verse 5. He, he says, be, be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Hold fast to him. The ESV translates that Hebrew word, cling to him. Hold fast, cling to the Lord your God. He says God's given you success, but you're still surrounded by nations that want to do you, and therefore you walk in his way. You love him, you follow him, you cling to him. And he says the same thing in the next chapter, chapter 22, or 23, verse 8. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Cling to him. Uh, see, in this culture, the way you depart from the things of the Lord is you just drift. You, you don't go out and do front page reportable sins. You just leave off the watch. You just don't develop Christian friendships. You just don't think Christianly. And, and, and the culture around us just carries us down the stream into spiritual oblivion. And that's why Paul presupposes a fight. And that's why he says, man, take up the full armor of God, church at Ephesus. Take it up. Put it on. The whole armor. Uh, in First Timothy He says this, chapter 6, one of his last epistles. He says, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from this materialism, a worldly attitude. You flee from this and you pursue righteousness, godless faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You fight the good fight 
of the faith. You take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, keep this command. These are stirring words. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold. Before, make a good confession before the living God and before Jesus Christ. He presupposes a fight. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, his last letter, he says, now, now flee from youthful lust. Just get out of there. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Next verse. But refuse, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations and arguments, knowing they produce only quarrels. So it just presupposes, it presupposes a fight. And we're in a culture where it's just easy to drift. Let me give you an example. I was at a I was in Texas this weekend at a wedding and and uh, was talking to a man, a very enjoyable man. We had about a 20-minute conversation before we were told we had to put up chairs and tables for the wedding and quit talking. And he was about 65. He was a very successful retired airline executive. Um, came across just a wonderful guy. Um, been traveling, has discretionary income. As I said, well, tell me about your children. So I have, I have four kids, four kids. He says the oldest lives in Kansas City. She's given us three beautiful grandchildren. The second, uh, a boy, is in Ph.D. school studying English and rhetoric. The third just graduated from law school. And the fourth, my youngest, my little girl, is living with her boyfriend, and they just bought a house. We're so proud of them. Now, I felt an earthquake. And let me say why. 20 years ago, that would never have been said. 20 years ago, he would have said, my youngest is unmarried. Because here's a conservative, a fairly conservative guy who says, yeah, they're, 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 they're living together and just bought a house. There's no shame. And so when people say, how has the culture changed? And I said, well, I think the major change in our day is in the whole area of sexuality, gender, defining marriage. And, and if, if we're to stand firm, we've got to cling to the Lord. 20 years ago, I'm telling you, that would never have been said. If you're young, take my word for it. Uh, a conservative 65-year-old would have never said that 20 years ago because there was shame involved. And I'll say, I'll say this frequently. There is God wants us to be joyful and fulfilled and full of the Spirit and Christ-honoring people. And he says sexuality is between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship called marriage, period. And if you're living together, quit it or get married. That's, just do it. You want to honor Jesus if you're, if you're a Jesus follower. So I, I, just, I just think there's a, there, there's a drift. So, so we fight, we flee, we cling, we put on the full armor because we want to be used of God in this culture to tell about Christ. We flee, we fight, we cling because we want joy. We want joy. We want the joy of the Lord. We believe Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want that. We, we, we believe that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So we flee and we cling and we fight and we put on the full armor. Now let me tell you this. Growth in Christ, growth in Christ, 
is a process. We are never done with sin. And about the time you conquer one area somewhat, another one comes around and hits you on your blind side. Now, sometimes the Lord, by His Spirit, takes away things. Let me give an example. There's a man named Marvin Olosky, who's the editor of World Magazine, an incredibly good magazine to read. It's a Christian magazine. Olosky is brilliant. He's Ivy League trained. He taught at the University of Texas for years. He said he he grew up in a non-believing Jewish background, very secular. And he said, as a young man, I became a a full-fledged, no-questions-asked Marxist. And in the university in the 60s, he said, I, I, I believe that God was dead or never existed. I believed in economic leveling. I hated people of wealth and status. I despised them. He said, but over a series of months, I heard the gospel. I investigated the gospel. I came to faith in Christ. And he says, and I, when I, right after I became a Christian, I went to bed And I woke up the next day, and I had no coveting spirit towards people of wealth. He says, I value people of wealth when they use it well. But since that day, I have never had a covetous spirit. Boom, God took it away. Now, sometimes that happens. But usually, it is a process. I have talked to people here who said, I was a problem drinker. I was an alcoholic. When I came to faith in Christ, God took it away. I've talked to other people here who said, I've struggled with alcohol for years and years and years, and every day is a commitment under the Lordship of Christ to sobriety. That's the vast majority of people. One of the most godly people I ever knew would say to me, I've been sober for 34 years and four months, because she knew she couldn't go back. Some men here will say that when I came to faith in Christ, God took away my lust problems. Others of us, me included, say it is a daily commitment and battle to think the right thoughts and to do the right thing. So, but generally speaking, the getting rid of sin is a process. It is growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It is putting on the full armor of God. It is fleeing from youthful lust. It is taking hold of eternal life. It is, it is knowing the culture, my potholes, my flesh, and the adversary. So as we take up the shield of faith today, the shield of faith was um, a flame retardant four, and four feet by two and a half feet shield. It was like holding up a door. And in those days, the average size of a man was not more than five, six or five, seven. And so if you're five, six and you've got a four foot shield in front of you, you just have to do this. You just, and and it, was, it was encased in metal with wood around it, and literally it would extinguish fiery darts that were flung at the troops. And so Paul says, you, you take this up. You think about the goodness of God, and you think about the, the promises of God. And so as I thought about this, I thought about just giving you an acrostic that may stick as you think about taking up the shield of faith. And it's the acrostic armed, A-R-M-E-D. Very simple. So, so A stands for avoid or just say no to sin. You avoid it. You don't go there. And when it hits, when you have thoughts, when the devil plants thoughts in your brain, just let me say this very quickly. Sometimes you will have a thought and you're, you're, you'll go, I mean, a horrible thought. I mean, a thought that, is, that you would blush to even say out loud about. 
hurting people or lust or something. And you say, whoa, where did that come from? Listen, brothers and sisters, that came usually from the dark forces. It's a fiery dark, boom, it hits you. But you, you say, but you, you avoid it. You say no to sin. Second Timothy, once again, flee from youthful lust. You just get out of there. You don't think it. You start singing hymns. You start praising the Lord. There's a dear woman I know who's a, just special to me, and she says, when I have one of those thoughts, I just say, she says, I hold up my hand. I say, I resist that. I say no to that in the name of Jesus. So I don't care where I am. I'll just go, and I'll say, I resist that in the name of Jesus. I just, I'm not going to go there. Now, there is a hotly disputed question. It's called the five-second rule when you drop a piece of food. Um, the, the, the old proverb is that if a piece of food falls to the ground and you pick it up within five seconds, it's okay to eat. Um, if you're a single man, it's really called the two-hour rule, you know. <laughs> but I, I did a little bit of study. In 2003, there was a graduate student at the University of Illinois at Chicago or Urbana who found that uh, 70% of women were familiar with this rule while only 50% of men were. She determined that a variety of foods were significantly contaminated by even a brief exposure to a tile inoculated with the E. coli virus. On the other hand, she found that no significant evidence of contamination was found on public flooring, yes. especially for feeding the neighbor's children. That's my fault, okay. The Discovery Channel did a study of this and said there was no significant difference in the number of bacteria collected from two to six seconds. That's falling down, one, two, three, four, pick it up real quick, four, six, that type of thing. And then the food detective said that high traffic areas will lead to even more bacteria on the food. Well, I thought about the five-second rule when it comes to an inclination or a thought, and you say, I am not going to receive that in the name of Jesus. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to let that thought take root in my heart and my spirit. Because I want to see the beauty of Jesus. I want to be used of God. I want to experience the joy of the Lord. I want to say with the psalmist, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I want to affirm what the Puritan John Owen said, you be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I just want to avoid it. And then next is R. You run to the glory and the grace and the majesty of the cross. And you rejoice with your completeness that is found in Christ. And you understand what the larger catechism says. When the question is asked, what do we mean when we pray, lead us not into uh, temptation? The answer is that by his spirit we may be powerfully supported and enabled to stand in the hour of temptation or when fallen raised again and recovered out of it. The next slide says, goes on and says that he breaks the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil in our lives. We run to the glory of the cross and our completeness in him. There's a, there's a hymn here it is, by a guy named Charles Wesley. And one stanza says, Jesus, the name that charms my fears, that bids my sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. And the next stanza says this. It's so important. He breaks the power of canceled sin. 
He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Now, now I want you to get this. This is very important. He doesn't say he breaks the power of conquered sin. He breaks the power of canceled sin. If you are in Christ this morning, your sin, past, present, and future, is done away with positionally. God sees you through the eyes of the reality of Christ. You are complete in Him. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. So we operate from a position of strength, of security, of forgiveness. In Romans chapter 6, it says this, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that's our position. Okay? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign. Don't, don't do it. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its evil desires, and do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You're, you're, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Therefore, since you operate out of your standing in Christ, so, so R is you run to the glory of the cross and your completeness in Jesus, and that's where you stand. Or in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Verse 9, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now listen, once you were not a people of God, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You belong to God. You're recipients of mercy and grace. And then he says, based upon that, verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So he says, based upon who you are, live this way. So you, you run to the glory of Christ and your completeness that is Him. You live on the basis of your position in Christ. It's so important. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He breaks the power as we glory in Him, as we worship Him. I don't know what you're struggling with. We all struggle with stuff. Unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, lust. You name it. We, we just, it's just, but how, how do you defeat that? You run to the cross. You glory in Jesus. You say his name. You rejoice in all that he is for you. M, you memorize or meditate on the word of God in order to hurl missiles at the devil. Jesus taught us how to live. It's amazing. So when Christ is tempted in the wilderness, how did he beat the devil? It is written. It is written. It is written. It's kind of like having, you know, how the ninja warriors have those things, like those projectiles. You've got 15 or 20 projectiles in your pack that you just hurl at the devil. What, you know, the devil comes and he says, you know, 
can you really be taken care of as you get older? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Will you ever be married? Will you ever do this? Will you ever have a child? And, and, and one of your, you, you, you quote Romans 8, 32. And he who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, will he not also along with Jesus give us all things? Boom. Or, or Hebrews eleven six, one of the battle cries of the believer. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. But everyone who draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Boom. Lord, I want to seek you. I want to feel and know your presence. I want to experience your power, Holy Spirit. I come to you. Or Hebrews 2, for example. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same death through death. He might render powerless he who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free us from our fear of death. I don't fear death. Boom. Because Jesus has died on the cross for my sin and paradise. Heaven awaits those who trust in you. Blessed be your name. You, you, you just do that. You, you have these missiles that you, you fling at the devil. Anger. We all struggle with anger to a degree. You feel an angry spirit coming up and you stop and you say, James 1 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. God, please don't let me be defined by anger. Please. You just, you just do that. So yesterday, this will happen to me. Yesterday, I'm in the Atlanta airport coming in from Dallas, get on a tram, to catch the plane to Charleston. So I'm on the tram, the door's getting ready to close. And this woman comes charging in right in front of me. I mean, she's right in my field of vision. And she was very attractive. Unlike wives, unlike most of your husbands, I notice attractive women. Most of the men have eyes only for you, okay? So I saw her and she had this tight form-fitting dress on, low-cut. She had to bend these suitcases she was pulling, and as she turned to go in, she had a slit. I'm serious, her slit, slit was like up to here. And I, I'm just going, good grief. Who dresses that way to fly somewhere? And I just, so I'm going, I'm, I'm doing this sermon. I'm going over my mind, armed. And so she's standing here right next to me, right here. And I go like this. <laughs> and I start quoting Proverbs 6. Verse 23 and 24. I've quoted this verse thousands of times. 25, 24 and 25. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty. Do not let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. There's death there. Death there. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. I'm not so sure she's trying to captivate me with her eyes. She probably was. <laughs> she digs old men, you know, that type of thing. But, you know, but still, you know, I'm, I'm and so I'm, and then I, I go to Proverbs 5. I just, I, I pray for the Lord, I pray for this woman. I don't, she's somebody's daughter, somebody's sister. And, and then I start praying through Proverbs 5. It's, it's an x-ray verse. I'm going to leave that part of it. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a graceful doe, a loving deer. Omission, omission, omission. It's a great verse. 
It says, may you ever be captivated by her love. Captivated. Don't you love that word, captivated? Why, my son, be captivated by an adulterous woman? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For man's ways are in full view of the Lord. No. I'm telling you, the word of God, you throw a missile. I would just say, get a little missile now. Whatever your issue is, memorize, memorize, meditate some verses about the cross, or if it's anger, anger, or covetousness, whatever. But, but we memorize and we meditate. E is, is mutual edification. Mutual edification. Um, see, this is a Christian warrior in complete armor. And so often you read commentaries, read books about this, and they don't mention this. I, I think it's a gross oversight of the text. A warrior never fights alone. He's part of a battle square or battle formation. In those days, uh, they, would, they would do this. They, they would form up, and then some would hold up their shields. Some would keep, but, but you would quench the fiery darts that are coming down. This is the steel age, the New Testament. The fiery darts that are coming, and you would catch them. And, and, and if, if, if a man is standing by himself, he's unprotected because he can only do this much. But if you've got friends behind him, they're holding the shield over his head and by his side. It's called a battle formation. Pity the man who doesn't have friends. Pity the woman who doesn't have a friend in battle formation. I was with a man this weekend, a guy I really love and would spend time with, and he looked at me and said, I have no friends. And I just went, my spirit, I just went, oh, oh, I have no friends. Man, I need people in my life to hold up their shield to make battle squares. So it's mutual edification. He is for edification or encouragement. Hebrews 3 says, but encourage one another uh, day after day as long as it's still called today so that you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Watch out, man. Don't get hardened. Go strong. Hold up the shield. To be part of something that's extraordinary called the kingdom of God. I love Shakespeare's Henry V. Oh, it's so good. They're in France. They're disease-ridden. They're outnumbered six to one by the French. Historically, they were outnumbered five and a half or six to one. And they're going into battle. And Henry V is the king. And Westmoreland, a leader of the army, cries out, Oh, good king, if only 10,000 men who are now asleep were with us today instead of in their beds. And King Harry jumps up on a stump, the way I see it. And he says, nay, nay, he said, today is St. Crispin's Day. And in the future, when your children and your grandchildren on St. Crispin's Day said, say, Dad, granddad, what did you do on St. Crispin's Day? He said, you will pull up your sleeve and you'll show them your scars and you'll say on St. Crispin's Day, we beat the French in a mighty battle. He said, if it is a sin to be covetous for honor and glory, then I am a sinner indeed. And those men who are now asleep in their bed will long to have said, I stood with those gallant men on St. Crispin's Day. And then he says this, 
we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. I wish I could memorize the whole thing. Yes. Don't you to be part of a band of brothers who stand together. See, he is encouragement, edification. You need that. You need that. We need, I need that. D is for demolishing or defeating or destroying. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, Paul writes, for, for we, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy or demolish strongholds. Demolish, destroy, eradicate. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So, so he, he says, you know, we, our, our weapons are not trying to cognitively think through what's right and wrong. That's important. He says, but, but our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds, to destroy strongholds. And what, what, are, the, what are the weapons? We, the Word of God, prayer, the fellowship of the saints, fleeing from sin, being part of the body of Christ. See, those are the divine weapons of our warfare. We don't go into there cognitively thinking about what's right and what's wrong, even though that's important. We come in the name of Jesus. We come with the authority of Scripture. We come surrounded by and undergirded by a life of prayer. But because eternity is at stake and our usefulness is at stake, and we go with expectation of victory because the weapons of the living God demolish, destroy, defeat strongholds. I don't know what strongholds are in your life. We all have them from time to time. A lack of love toward your spouse. I mean, one verse we should memorize is, in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might cleanse her, sanctifying her with the word. Paul does not say, husbands, love your wives when they deserve it as Christ. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't love us when we deserve it? We'd never be loved. Anger unforgiveness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.32, I mean unforgiveness. Being covetous. I mean, it goes on and on. We have different strong. Everyone, every person here has a stronghold potentially. They're either in, coming out of, or going into. And, and, and we just, listen, we defeat, we destroy, we demolish them with spiritual weaponry. As we are armed, we avoid, we run to the cross, we meditate and memorize the promises of God. We are edified and built up by the brothers, and we go in with expectancy because God is able to demolish and defeat and destroy. I was reading an article, kind of a little small excerpt from a book. One year ago, the Boston Marathon took place, and two brothers, as you know, set off some bombs. And three were killed, and I think 25 or 30 lost limbs. It was horrible. There's a book written by two brothers, aged 34 and 32, who were there to greet a friend as he came across the finish line. And as they stood there, the first bomb knocked them to the ground. 
Then they heard screams, and they got up, and they took about three steps to run away, and the second bomb hit, and the second bomb tore off both of their right legs, one this high, the other here. One almost bled to death, but physicians and helpers were there to tie a tourniquet and give him immediate help, so he survived. And since then, they've gone through multiple surgeries. They're in uh, rehab every day, but they've written a little book. And in, in the book, uh, the younger brother says this. Before the Boston Marathon explosion, I was complacent about my life. I didn't see much purpose for living it. I just didn't care. I wasn't sad, but I wasn't thrilled. Now, I set goals every day, me and my brother. We are now happy and motivated to do things every day because we're obviously lucky to be alive, close quote. Now, in the interview, in the article, there's no semblance of, or speaking of faith. I kept looking for it. But I thought, man, that's the way I want to live. I want to live every day with a sense of purpose and calling. I want to live every day understanding that, that I, 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 I fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so I want to take up the full armor of God. I want to live with intentionality. I want, I want to operate from the basis of a position of strength because I'm in Christ, and he breaks the power of canceled sin. Listen to me. Run to Jesus. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. I want that. I want that. I want to be used of God. So I, I, I plead with you. And I, I entreat you, if you're not a believer, to consider the claims of Jesus who died on the cross for your sin. I, I, I plead with you. Because life is short. If you're a Christ follower, life is short. Live with purpose and dignity and a high calling. Don't be carried away by the drifting current of a post-Christian culture that just pushes, 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 pushes. Speak with dignity and love and courage and tears. But speak. Okay. Well, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful that you break the power of canceled sin. I thank you for the goodness of the cross. I thank you there is forgiveness of sins through the work of Jesus. Thank you that we celebrate every Sunday the glory and power of the resurrection. Thank you that you are the living Christ and you pray for us. Thank you that nothing can separate your people from the love of God. Thank you that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Lord, we just want to, be, we want to stand in your strength. We want to go forward. We want to see... Strongholds defeated, demolished, and destroyed because of divine weaponry through the power of Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.